We have been chatting what we've been calling a fireside chat with Jason Seidel with Cowan and Company and Keith Creel, the CEO of Canadian Pacific. And we're pleased to be able to bring that to you now. Jason will take over in one minute, but I want to let everyone know, remind you that after they have their discussion, you'll have the opportunity to join that discussion by asking your questions directly to Keith. Send those questions by email to questions at nears.org or on the conference site or the app. Submit your questions there. Thank you. Jason, take it away. Uh, thank you, Dennis. And, uh, you know, uh, I can't say how uh, happy and honored I am to uh, have uh, the CEO of Canadian Pacific, Keith Creel, with us today uh, to discuss their proposed transaction of uh, the Kansas City Southern. Uh, it's also an honor for Cowan to be able to sponsor this event. So, uh, Keith, welcome again. Thank you so much for doing this uh, for uh, the conference. And I, I know it's something that a lot of shippers uh, want to chat with. So let's dive right in. Uh, and talk about sort of what makes this the right time for CP to make a move on KSU. Sure, well, let me uh, let me first thank you, Jason, and the conference for allowing us an opportunity to represent our CP family. I, it's my honor to do that. So speaking to your question, um, let's start at a macro level. Uh, you know, and I've said this before, uh, how could we not do it at this time when you take those factors in consideration. At a macro level, you've got a world around us, obviously, that has been unlike any that we've seen in the past year. Uh, but prior to going into the year of the pandemic in 2020, uh, the, the thought of nearshoring had began, the negotiations, uh, very tense negotiations between the previous administration, Mexico and Canada and U.S. obviously uh, were, came to fruition and created a USMCA um, a trade agreement which gives certainty for trade between the three countries, which on a backdrop of a, a world of uncertainty. So you take those together, you take the acceleration of the nearshoring that has occurred and continues to occur, some would call, and I do believe it's an industrial renaissance here in, in North America between these three countries, uh, gave you the perfect backdrop, an opportunity to grow, an op opportunity to create a transformational network that enabled that growth in commerce for all three nations. Um, so that at a macro level, at a micro level, you get into an environment in our industry, obviously, um, there's only seven class ones. Uh, we are the, one of the two smallest, we being CP and KCS. Uh, so seeing an opportunity, given the rumors that were swirling around and giving our strategic view about the KCS prior to, from a timing standpoint, uh, with PE making a move on the KCS, it was sort of a situation where if we're serious, if this really matters, and if it's really strategically important, uh, now is the time to have those discussions. So with that said, we entered into discussions, uh, very earnest discussions with Pat and his team that started as interline discussions, Jason. We started talking about the art of the possible, what markets could we serve, what customer solutions could we create, what value could we create across the entire supply chain, all shareholders, all stakeholders, not just shareholders, but also customers and also employees in the communities we would serve. And, and it was compelling. It was compelling to the point that that led into, you know, the substantive discussions where we negotiated a very fair, fair deal that allows uh, both companies and all sets of stakeholders to share in that value creation. Talk a little bit about how this deal is good for the rail industry and maybe you could concentrate a little bit on how the service can improve 
and sort of how a, a CPKSU combination can offer more origin destination pairs for shippers. Sure. So, so at a global level, when you talk about the rail industry, any combination that, that creates more service options, that creates more capacity and creates more competition, I would suggest is undeniably good for the industry. Uh, this particular transaction in a very unique, unique way across all business units creates extended length of haul, extended reach for our customers, single line service that's simply put in, in many markets doesn't exist today. Uh, I could talk about the upper, the west side of the Midwest, talk about North Dakota, South Dakota, talk about Minnesota, Wisconsin, and ability for those products that we serve in our network to have an opportunity, a competitive opportunity to reach new markets in Texas, to reach new markets in Mexico or in the Gulf, that quite frankly today they have two options. And in some cases, um, ours would be a unique option, a new option. So you can go across the board, Jason, that, that narrative and, and that fact applies to so many customers. Uh, so to create something that at the end of the day would cement, I believe, uh, the stability of the industry, not destabilize the industry that would create capacity, that would create new service options and competitive um, tension between the railways. If I'm a shipper at the end of the day, I think that matters. Uh, to suggest that reducing service, to reduce competitive options, to reduce lanes of service is in a shipper's best interest, I think is not only not true, it's a bit disingenuous. Let's talk a little bit about the Chicago interchange. I know in your initial uh, uh, merger call that you held when you announced the deal, you mentioned that like you could bypass Chicago with this combination and, and thus free up potential throughput through Chicago for the remainder of the rails. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that could help the industry overall? Sure. Well, I, I think historically we all understand uh, the industry as goes Chicago often goes the industry when it comes to fluidity, given that you know, 25% of every car that moves in North America is going to go through that interchange location. It's a very complex physical plant uh, that, quite frankly, doesn't take a lot of extreme measures to get us to a point where capacity is constrained and, and service is impacted. Uh, I don't have to speak too loudly to get to people's histories and perhaps scars the winter of 2013 and 14. So we know it's, it's a very fragile town, it's, it's better. I'm not going to suggest that it's not because I would say that there's been more capacity created with the adoption of PSR across the injury that is industry that has helped Chicago. But with that said, it's always going to be suspect to, you know, 100 year events, extreme weather events, the polar vortexes we go through. So that's undeniable. So to me, anything that proposes bringing additional traffic that's not necessary uh, to Chicago. Um, in fact, 100% of the opportunity to Chicago is not in Chicago's best interest, nor by default, the nation's best interest relative to commerce, given, given how important it is. Now, our unique transaction, given that we do have a route in the primary route from Western Canada for all this growth that we're talking about, would be paralleling the west side of the Mississippi River. It would never need to come into Chicago to go back down to the Texas or to the uh, Mexican markets or the Gulf markets, as would the alternative. In the alternative, given that both of their east-west lines converge in Chicago, it's impossible to avoid the greater Chicago network with any additional growth. So, you know, to put more pressure when it's not necessary, 
uh, in the absence of a solution that actually creates capacity by taking traffic out of Chicago, I think is, is, is not in the best interest of Chicago. And I'll give you one case in point, something that I think about often. You know, today, you know, it, I'm not going to suggest that our proposition wouldn't bring growth to Chicago because going to Chicago, it would when it comes to the intermodal product. But I would say that there's also business that goes to Chicago as an offset that wouldn't need to specifically. Think about the automobiles that come across the Mexican border to Laredo that perhaps go UP and to Chicago to be switched to the CP in this instance for us to switch those cars again in that physical plant and then take them west to destination. With our proposed route, that specific lane, you've got an opportunity for a single line service option that would never touch Chicago. So mm -hmm. as we do bring some traffic in, we take traffic out and I think it's, it's net neutral to positive for Chicago. Again, comparable to the alternative, 100% of the traffic has to go through Chicago. There's no offset that would benefit or protect capacity for all the rails to benefit from in, in the Chicago facility. Well, thanks for the color on that, Keith. That's good color. I want to talk a little bit about something that always comes up uh, with the shipping community. You know, clearly uh, through PSR, um, especially in the early stages when a railroad goes through it, there's a lot of headcount reductions. And then when any shipper hears the talk of mergers, that's the first thing they think about. You know, geez, you know, how how is my that my my customer service going to be impacted? Am I going to have a lot less people to talk to? So what's what what does this deal look like from a labor perspective? Can you walk us through it and maybe put some shippers' minds at ease? That it won't cause a big disruption. Yeah, I think the beauty of this, and that's one of the uh, the things that gets me so excited. I talked to our employees, and we talked to the KCS employees. You're talking about new growth. You're talking about taking trucks off the road, putting them on the rail. That's going to drive additional growth. It's going to require additional headcount. It's going to require people to work on locomotives, people to work on cars, people to work on track. Uh, that's pro growth. And if you bring growth to Western Canada, to Eastern Canada, it's the same situation. So this is not a cost synergy story at all. It's all driven by revenue synergies, the line share, you know, of the 780 million we've talked about, which quite frankly are conservative. Uh, there's an opportunity to add jobs across the board. So it's net positive from a job standpoint, which again, I think is extremely unique and unlike uh, past mergers where oftentimes the mergers were created as a result of trying to become more efficient, trying to take cost out so, so we could compete uh, and sustain the business. That's not what this story is about. You've got two very well-run railways. Certainly at CP, we're well along uh, the road of implementing PSR. We're not in the cost cutbacks stage. We're in the growth stage, growth at profitable, sustainable cost. So we control costs. Yes, we're always going to work to become more efficient. We get we become better railroaders every day. I'm not going to suggest efficiency doesn't matter, but to attack this thing or to approach this from anything but pro-growth uh, is it's exactly what this is. This is all about growing headcount, growing employees, driven by the business and justify the business by the business this unique combination enables. And so when, you, when you've had discussions, and I'm assuming you've already spoken to some of the major labor unions, what, what, what is their feedback to you? Very encouraging. You know, obviously, we've, we've worked hard through all the change, and you can imagine the change in the history we've gone through. Uh, we've created um, some, some ill will, suggested some, some people call it broken eggs, some people call it change. That's what it is. You know, we had to make some tough decisions to do the right thing for our full 
employee base and for our franchise. But since that, as, as we've evolved to growth, we've worked hard to rebuild those bridges and relationships of trust. And, and we're at a different place at our company. Uh, we've earned that. We honor that. We protect that. Uh, so those discussions with those partners about how we can grow their business is something that's been embraced and received extremely well. And in fact, as we've shared, Unifor, which is the largest uh, union in Canada, has came out publicly and supported this transaction. And even SMART, who represents on the U.S. side, uh, the conductors for the running trades employees, obviously, they have supported this as well. They see the same opportunities that we see in that. And when you have labor seeing those opportunities and you have relationships of trust and respect that you have earned, you've worked hard to earn and you work hard to maintain, that matters. And that's the reason we're seeing that kind of support, Jason. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, look, there's been a lot of talk uh, about the trust and you saw the DOJ weigh in. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about it for the railroad shipping community? Clearly as an analyst, I've talked to so many uh, our, our clients that uh, want to know about trusts. Uh, it's spinning in my head right now, but I think overall, a lot of people in the railroad shipping community may not understand, you know, you know why the trust is being used and sort of how successful it has been in the past. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's, let's start with the basic, um, uh, trying to, because it does get confusing. So let me, let me say this. The trust is what enables the transaction. The trust, when a company is put in trust, is what allows the purchaser to buy the shares. And for the company that's being acquired, in this case, the KCS Board of Directors, to allow the consideration to go to the shareholders. So that's when they get their money for the company. Uh, the reason trusts are important in our industry is called time value of money. Co railroad mergers are complex. It takes time, you know, to go through the fulsome reviews that the SDB has to go through to make sure that not just because we say it is, but actually show that competition is preserved or enhanced, service is preserved or enhanced. And this is really good overall for the nation's rail system. That's going to take 12 to 16, 18 months. Um, with a trust that allows the shareholders to get their consideration now instead of waiting that period of time, which sort of levels the playing field with the alternative bidders that would be trying to buy these assets, like a PE firm. You know, they come in, they're not subject to the same regulations, the same review that the SDP regulates us with. So they effectively can come in and put cash on the table, pay now and, and take all the regulatory risk out of the equation. So that's the reason the trust needs to be used and has been used historically in this industry. Now let's move to what type of trust. So in 2001, the SDB came out and changed the merger rules. And you've heard us coin old rules, new rules. Well, the old rules, I pre-2001 changes, had a trust structure, but the trust was not subject to but one condition. For the trust to be in place, you had to show independence, meaning that you had an independent trustee overlooking the company while it was in trust and while the SDB was performing their merger review. The acquiring company could not interfere with the management of, the direction of, it was managed by the trustee. So that, that was the standard. New rules requires what's called a public interest test. Now, some have suggested, in fact, CM suggested last week or earlier this week on the earnings call, that that's a two-pronged test of their assessment. It's independence, which is the same as the old rules, and it also has to do with financial ability to avoid damage. Should you have to spin off the company, should the merger not be allowed by the SDB, 
you know, are you putting either of the entities in financial disrepair? Well, they stop at that point. And herein lies the complexity and herein lies the truth. It also has public interest. Public interest is not just tied to financial and just tied to control. Public interest also ties to enhancing and preserving and protecting competition. Public interest ties to those discussions earlier. If you think about the impacts to Chicago, think about public interest. You've got an overall network. It's the hub of the rail network for North America, the center of commerce that's enabled by rail transportation to suggest that you do something that weakens that, I would suggest is not in the public interest. To suggest to perhaps the communities uh, on the EJ&E, for example, suggest to Barrington or suggest to Aurora, suggest to Franklin Park, suggest to Joliet, to suggest to all those communities that that railway runs through, that they're gonna see more trains that don't necessarily need to be there to enable growth for North America. And I would suggest that's not in the public interest. And the list goes on and on and on. So the key is, I think it's very foolish to think that the STB is going to weigh on public interest in such a very narrow scope of only two issues. And in fact, if you go back to and look at the wording and the STB's ruling when they establish these rules, it speaks to the things that they look at. It speaks to public interest means not only preserving competition, but enhancing competition. It speaks to the point, in fact, uh, if, when you read the details, and I do, back when the comment period existed, seeing themselves suggested to the STB that they didn't have a right or the authority uh, to require a trust. And if you go back and read it, it specifically says, and STB set the record straight, we have plenary authority, which essentially means all things governing the health of this rail, rail network, rail system in North America, that's under their preview. They will do what they think is necessary to protect the rail system and public interest. So again, it's not as simple as some would suggest. It's very complex and it creates tremendous, tremendous risk and uncertainty in that application because in all, it represents the truth. And the truth is something like that and what they proposed, given the loss of competition, given the loss of capacity, given the additional pressures it puts on Chicago among other locations and the customers that lose options, not just two to ones, four to threes, three to twos. I mean, tell a customer in Superior, Wisconsin that has an option today to get to New Orleans, they can go BN, they can go UP, they can go CN, or they can go CPKCS over Kansas City. CN is suggesting that if you eliminate one of those and you go from four to three, that the customers in Superior don't care. In fact, they're suggesting it doesn't exist. So loss of competition is not so narrowly defined either as two to one. It's also four to three and three to two. So if those facts are true, and they are, they're undeniable, how can that be in the public's interest? I just don't see, I just don't see all that spin, you know, shaking out to be truth at all. I think undeniably, it's simply not. Okay, Keith, can, can you talk a little bit about how, and, and you, you touched on this in, in many of your points, but talk a little bit about how your deal compares to the CN proposal to acquire KCS. We've obviously seen, you know, the STB grant uh, uh, the KCS the waiver to apply under the old rules for CP. CN is going to go under the new rules as it stands right now. Talk a little bit about sort of how you see both transactions differing uh, to the shipper community. Well, I think it starts with, it truly is an end-to-end. -end. There's no overlap. 
you know, it's um, there's many, many iterations that the SDB will go through when they're looking at all the OD pairs and the origins and the destinations and the shippers options. Uh, but when you've got a suggested combination that is truly hand in glove end to end with zero overlap, it doesn't take a lot of time to figure out that there's no loss of competitive options. Uh, so that is the most compelling difference between the two that's undeniable compared to, again, to my previous points, not just locations where you go from two to one or three to two or four to three, there's a multitude of, of situations where it's less options, less competitive, because you have literally have competitors that otherwise might be competing or that otherwise a customer might use to protect their price with their, with their partner of choice that just simply gets snuffed out by what they're proposing. Uh, so that's a very compelling difference between the two. The other power of our, of our transaction, I think that's critically important for the shareholders and for long-term value creation, which matters, uh, to the viability of the railroad and the network, the ability to invest is actually your ability to execute. You know, in our deal, the way it's set up, it's heavily weighted to shares because it represents long-term value and less weighted to cash versus the CN's deal, which is more weighted to cash and less weighted to the share, which minimizes long-term value and puts all the money up front. Now, to some, that might matter. But to a long-term asset, which should be ran with a long-term view to increase investment, to drive value for the shareholders. And the shareholders, again, are not just stock owners. I'm talking about employees. I'm talking about communities. I'm talking about customers. With a, with a track record with the team, our team, quite frankly, perhaps I'm a bit biased because I get the honor of working with and serving with them, but they're the best in the business, especially when I want to compare our performance and our track record, not by what I say, but by what the results show over the last 10 years. From a, from a total shareholder return standpoint, th this company has been a leader in the industry versus the alternative in that proposal, they've been the worst in the industry. If you look at safety performance, and that matters to the communities we operate in through, we've been the safest railroad in the industry for 15 years. If you look at efficiencies, our efficiencies, even though we're well into PSR and we're on growth stage, we still continue to invest records amount of money in our network. And at the same time, our efficiencies have improved. They've improved just over the last several years, we've improved 5%, while theirs have deteriorated 8%. That's a, over the last, I guess, if you look at an eight-year time period, that's a 1,300-point differential between the two which is all about deterioration. It's not about improvement. So, so to suggest that that's better, better for the industry, that's, uh, I think the words were used, we're a better railroad. Uh, in all honesty, by whose measures? I look at facts. Our deal represents an opportunity to realize value across the supply chain, value across the customer's options, value across more competition. Even if they don't choose our network, they have an ability to use the value that we represent to make sure that their value is fair and appropriate given the other alternatives that exist in these lanes. So to me, if you look at that, those are, those are undeniable facts that a shipper, obviously, I'm sure when they take a step back and, and opine and think about it, uh, we'll come to the same conclusion I'm coming to. Okay, and for those shippers who might've missed you guys on your earnings call, you know, clearly you did talk a little bit about the state of the CP railroad and sort of what you expect for the remainder of the year in terms of operational fluidity as well as demand. Can you can you update people right now on what you're seeing in the market? 
Yeah, overall, Jason, um, you know, obviously just like the balance of the industry, we had a tough February, but other than the tough February with the weather, uh, all of our business streams are, are showing strength. We're seeing the economy coming back. We've got a very fluid network. Uh, the team's running, Mark and the team doing a phenomenal job running it efficiently. We have all the assets, whether it's crews, whether it's track capacity, whether it's cars and locomotives that we need to handle our customers' business. And we're looking forward to the strength that we're actually experiencing now and as it continues into the year to make sure that we're there for our customers the way they need us to be there so that they can win in their marketplaces. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to jump in the questions because I've got a ton here and, and, and please everyone pardon me as I have to look at my cell phone as these, uh, these come in, but I'll just remind everybody that wants to ask questions, it's questions at nears.org or you could use the conference app or you can use the conference website to get your questions in. So I'll, uh, I'll kick this off uh, Keith with um, one of the questions here. It says, can you provide some specifics on plans to develop Sears ports of capacity? Will substantial potash traffic flow through? Searsport to capacity. That's uh, always with Searsport itself. We're working with the supply chain with the partners there. Uh, those those plans have not been fully developed. I'll just be honest. The business hasn't developed for it, but it's certainly uh, within John's preview. It's something he's focused on. I've actually went down and high railed to the Searsport terminal uh, to take a look at the existing capacity there. There's room to grow. We just have the business case to be able to justify the capital expense and we'll be there to invest in it. So it's it's work in progress and it's something we won't take our eye off of. Okay, here's another one. What is the short range plan for handling the Port of Montreal strike? Realizing that the capacity and crew issues may restrict traffic between Montreal and St. John on the CMQ portion, what plans are in place to handle any potential issues while continuing to service the customers? Well, the, you know, it's obviously a very challenging and disruptive uh, situation. You know, I hope that cooler heads will prevail and, and they'll get back to work. Obviously, uh, our customers, their customers need that. Uh, but in the meantime, we've, we've gone through a lot of preparation working with our shipping line partners to create additional capacity into St. John. Last time, it was so sudden, you didn't have time to respond and get assets in play and get them in place. Well, we've learned through that, obviously. We also, as we've reported to the market uh, late last year, St. John is going to become a normal port of call. It's not a surge location for Canadian Pacific. So we've continued to invest capital into the infrastructure, St. John themselves. You saw a recent, a recent announcement where the federal government is putting more money into that facility to create a world-class port with world-class capacity for growth. So all that is ongoing. Uh, I would expect what you received last time, the capacity is great for, is there for a greater outcome this time. And we'll work very closely with our customers to make sure we protect their services best as we possibly can. Okay. I'm going to jump to the next one here. Uh, seeing as KSU has determined that the CM proposal is likely to lead to a superior offer and the large disparity between the consideration values. Despite your claims of the CN being illusionary, how do you expect the KSU shareholders to vote in favor of the deal uh, given the discount to the market? It all boils down to the trust, Jason. The trust matters. You know, at this point, uh, if you get into the mechanics of it, the specifics, the facts of our deal uh, that I've spoken to, I think enough already, everyone gets the point, uh, says our trust has deal certainty to it, given that it would be considered under the old rules. It's certainly clearly 
undeniably independent. In fact, CN, uh, sometimes I say flattery, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. You know, CN requested Dave Starling to be their trustee as well. Uh, so at that point, we're at a level playing field. However, that's when it gets complicated. With CN's application, uh, we feel that the facts, obviously the STB will decide. They've asked for special consideration under the old rules in the spirit of fairness. Well, the spirit of fairness also says that the facts matter and the facts of our two deals are not the same. So given that theirs is much more complex, given that theirs is undeniably uh, uncompetitive, they'll go under the new rules, we believe. And under the new rules, the trust requires approval. It has to meet that public interest test. The SDB will decide if it does or does not. That means it's very uncertain. There's an uncertain outcome. Uh, so there's uncertainty in their path to a transaction. There's certainty in our path to a transaction. So at a value standpoint, they're not the same deals. But again, the trust matters. So if you're a shipper and you understand the things I've spoken to or have any concerns about losing service, losing competition, losing alternatives, now is the time to weigh in. That trust will have, just like our application for our special consideration for the exemption, if they've asked for consideration, the STB by statute will give a comment period. So now is the time to speak. If you have concerns about their transaction, their proposal, provide comment to the STB, which your concerns might be, and they'll weigh that in determining the public interest. Because to your point, if certainty, the uncertainty is cleared up, and if we both have an ability to close into trust, then what you have is a bidding war. You have a bidding war that quite frankly, CN does. They have offered more money. They do have a bigger balance sheet. They do have an ability to use the power of their balance sheet to buy up and snuff out competition. So we don't want a bidding war and it's not something that we'll participate in. And ultimately it's a war that we would not win. So. At the end of the day, if the trust matters, the approval of the trust matters because of those potential outcomes, now is the time to weigh in with the SDB in the comment period. Okay, gotcha. And I think we heard from some of the shippers on our shipper panel with some of their concerns about the CN deal earlier in this conference. Uh, and I'll uh, direct people uh, to, li to listen to that panel. It's gonna be up on the website sometime uh, tonight or maybe later this afternoon. Uh, here's a question that's sort of similar questions we have coming in here. Uh, but I'll read the one that puts it very succinctly. Uh, CP and CN have starkly different views on how a CN-KCS combination would reduce service options for shippers. CN insists that the only meaningful overlap for a handful of customers is between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. But CP this week identified nearly 350 shippers who would see their options reduced to the, the parallel Illinois Central and Kansas City Southern mainlines. Can you discuss this overlap and how the railroads have such different views on what should be a clear issue? Uh, well, number one key point, I think this is pretty clear. CN insists a lot of things, but I think ultimately the customer is the one that will decide uh, and they'll make their decisions based on the facts. So those numbers came from a submission that we gave to the SDB and comment to CN's filings. And they're based on publicly available information through RailLink, uh, that interline data. So those are customers that are served by CN and KCS. Over 300, I don't remember the exact number, it's north of 300, that should that company go into trust, you're no longer served 
by independent parties, you lose an option. So for CN to suggest that that's insignificant, again, I think the customer decides. Uh, so again, that's fact-based data that's not spin. It's available by public, public information. And that's the tip of the iceberg. You can imagine that should their transaction occur, if this were able to go forward, which I don't think it will because of the trust issue, uh, that's the tip of the iceberg, best way to say it. Uh, so again, I go back to my original point. If it matters, that trust being approved will lead to an outcome that you won't be satisfied with. So you need to weigh in, provide comments, and make your own determination regardless of what CNN insists based on the facts. And it's as simple as I gave you the one illustration from, from Superior, Wisconsin. You know, you can look at the map. Those are options where you go from four to three or three to two carrier alternatives from the Springfield, Springfield Illinois Gateway. You've got a problem. You get to Jackson. That's another place. I, I heard Rob say on his, uh, on his call the other day that, you know, two to one, that's what I took, all that mattered. And he specifically said Jackson, Mississippi. I don't know that Rob's been to Jackson. I know that I used to be an assistant superintendent there. And I know when I left Jackson, uh, there were two class one carriers that provided switching service and terminal service in Jackson, Mississippi. And their names are Kansas City Southern and CN. I don't understand how that's not two to one if, if CN were to buy KCS. So that math doesn't add up. You get down to New Orleans, it's the same story. You know, perhaps it's not two to one, but you're definitely losing an alternative. KCS can uniquely and would still be able to uniquely in our proposed deal, operate a service option in New Orleans for the Midwest. Uh, if CN buys the KCS, then obviously that goes away. So perhaps it's not two to one, but it's certainly less options. Port of New Orleans, the same story. You know, the point about, I heard this also, I heard divestiture is a solution. Um, when you're already talking about divestiture from the very beginning uh, to provide a remedy to enable a deal, I would suggest that it's a bit deeper. And I, I would suggest that the customers care. Um, history shows, facts show, uh, these are important issues. I would encourage all shippers not, not to just listen and take what I tell you, but to look at the facts and not to just listen and take what CN tells you, but to look at the facts. Look at the facts and it's going to lead you to obvious conclusions regardless of what CN insists. Well, 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 here's a question that kind of relates to looking at facts. They want to, they want to uh, get smarter about this. What precedent or documents or guidance can listeners refer to in trying to understand uh, the uh, public interest as it relates to the merger versus public interest in the granting of the trust? Is the STB's decision on the use of the voting trust, um, they address CSX's concerns as an example, referring to the risk of financial harm to applicants as being a reason for trusts to, to be used. They don't see a, um, I'm trying to read this here, sorry. They don't seem to comment that the public interest review for the trust is an implicit review of the merits of the actual transaction as you imply. Thank you. All right, the STB does not clearly define any of this. It speaks to two questions in the documents they're looking at. Those are the STB documents and the comments that were followed back when they changed these rules in 2001. There was a question they opined on with CSX that speaks to the PE point. There was also the question that I referenced earlier where they opined on when CN challenged the SDB saying you can't use trust. Well, I refer to their response. 
plenary authority. That means they can do what's in the best interest of the public to protect and enhance service competition in, in our rail networks. It's not explicitly defined, it speaks to public interest. And that's the other key point. Other than the obvious things that I've talked about, uh, there's no precedence for this. There, there's nothing to look back at. You're not gonna find what the STB will or will not do or what they're exactly bound to do because the circumstances change. Things are different today than they were yesterday. It depends on the context. It depends on the transaction. And that's the way they wrote those rules. The only reason the exemption was created was context specific. It was for the KCS only in certain situations where the public's interest was not adversely impacted, where competition, and the list goes on and on and on to, su to suggest that the STB doesn't have the discretion because that example is not explicitly uh, pointed out or written out, I, th I think is not advisable. You're, okay. you're, you're deeply underestimating the intelligence of the STB and the knowledge they have to make sure they do what's best for the rail network in North America. Well, I, I've, been in, I've been in front of the board in the past. They are uh, smart people. Um, given your discussions with KCS started as interline discussions, do you see a scenario where you could potentially collaborate with the CN and KCS and everybody can win? Listen, anything's possible. Uh, we're reasonable people at Canadian Pacific. Should that happen, we'll do our best to represent our customers' interests. Um, so it's, is it possible in some instances? Yes. Uh, is it probable? I would suggest probably not, uh, and certainly it would inhibit and allow and enable that decision of what's reasonable and what's not, what isn't reasonable to fall into CN's discretion into CN's hands. When, when you control the gateway over Kansas City going to New Orleans, in, in the instance that I talked about earlier, and you also control the gateway to New Orleans over Chicago, you have an ability with the rates, with the rule 11 late rates that you quote to influence the way the traffic moves. Uh, so to suggest that your competitor that could originate the traffic, say in an Edmonton, Alberta, um, would be as favorable to you over a Kansas City gateway as they would over a Chicago gateway is just not realistic. Uh, so again, the devil's in the details, we're reasonable folks. Uh, but I guarantee you what I can say, and I think is very factual, the probability of the best outcomes for the shippers having alternatives and choices and in, in the best competitive option certainly would not exist in that scenario. Okay, uh, let me jump to the next question here. It says, Keith, what are you referencing in the letter that stated completion of a CN acquisition of KCS would create tremendous strategic pressure for CP to find a way to expand its market reach through further consolidation, what alternatives would be available to CP? Question mark. Well, at the end of the day, CP has competed against Canadian National. We haven't had size, we haven't had scale for a long time. Um, quite frankly, I believe it's because we're better railroaders. We work closer with our customers. We have a very strategic network and we played our strengths uh, and we partner with our customers, that same philosophy, that same approach, um, whether this deal goes through or not is what we'll maintain. It's, it's the key to our success. Uh, we recognize that, um, we'll continue to execute that. So if though you get to a point at a certain period of time 
where our customers are being disadvantaged because they don't have reach. Perhaps they're competing against a customer that might have partnered with Canadian National for a multitude of reasons. Um, maybe it's because Canadian National has bundled their product. <laughs> They've effectively got all the lanes because of the bundling approach that, that they perhaps have, have taken in the past. Uh, you could be severely disadvantaged if you're a customer if you don't have fair, equitable access to the same markets. Uh, so we get to a point at some point in time, not anytime soon, that obviously that would be a concern. Uh, but when I think about that, with every challenge, I also think about potential solutions. Because I think about now, what if CN were able to get this asset? What does that mean, mean to CP? Well, that means that if you get into the mechanics of it and they pay this exorbitant price, which they demonstrated they're willing to pay, uh, they're gonna have to revalue that asset when they put it in their books. Their operating ratio is gonna go up dramatically. They're not gonna have a, a 66, it's gonna be a 70, a 75. And then you get to a point where I can compete in markets and share that cost advantage with my customers so that they can continue to grow, whereas CN cannot. Uh, so there's so many moving parts to this. We've got to let it play out. Uh, but I can tell you, this company is resilient enough. Uh, we're going to continue to provide great service for our customers and value for our shareholders across the board. Uh, and we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, but I'm confident in our ability to execute and succeed in any of those environments. Okay. Jump to the next one here. How do you expect to have a definitive deal to vote on if KSU determines CN's deal is superior and signs a merger agreement before the STB rules. Which one seems likely? Well, if they sign an agreement and tell us and notify us, we have an opportunity to respond. Uh, but I can tell you now at these egregious levels that they're operating in, we're not gonna get into a bidding more. Uh, so let's play this out, we, we say thanks we're not going to destroy value. We're not going to imperil the company. Uh, they have a, they have a right within the agreement to solidify the deal with CN, and they can take that before the SDB. They pay us our seven hundred million dollars, and um, it is what it is. Those are the facts. We wouldn't be able to prevent it. We wouldn't be able to do anything about it. But I think, and I know from my negotiations with their board, they understand. You know, they have two responsibilities, Jason. One is. Value, obviously, that's their fiduciary responsibility. But to get to the value, you got to have deal certainty. So in a world where that uncertainty exists with that public interest test on their trust, where it may or may not be approved, KCS Board of Directors would not play Russian roulette, in my assessment, like that, uh, and risk that kind of destructive value destruction by partnering with someone that had a road to high uncertainty that would be very, very damaging outcomes if it were not approved. All right, I'm going to throw my last question in here, uh, Keith. You know, what do you think is going to happen first? Do you think we're going to hear back from the STB uh, on a voting trust first, or do you, do you think that the, the KCS will make some sort of pronouncement one way or the other before that happens? Well, obviously, you know, with due respect, that's the KCS's board's decision. Uh, I do think it's possible that, you know, we could hear back about the STB's decision on what type of trust uh, Canadian National will be held to. Is it going to be the old rules? Is it going to be the new? 
I would suggest that it's going to be the new. Uh, and then it depends on the comment period and how long the SDB takes uh, to come back with a decision. But you could play out, if you look at what's typical, what's standard, uh, you could get to a place where the KCS Board of Directors would have certainty, at least on the trust and perhaps even the answer. Uh, so there's a scenario for all of those different options. Uh, we'll see. I, I think the facts matter, Jason. I think at the end of the day, we have deal certainty. We certainly have an opportunity to create tremendous value. And we have a team that has a track record of doing exactly what we say we'll do. In fact, overachieving. And I think all that matters when you get to long-term value creation, both value now, value in the long-term uh, to the KCS board of directors. Well, well Keith, I want to, I want to, on behalf of uh, the NEARS board of directors, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to not only sort of present your thoughts on this, but, you know, answering every question that we got in here from the attendees at this conference. And and I believe there's uh, we have well north of 350 people attending this virtual conference, so that's fantastic. Uh, we 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 love to have you. You know, we had you in Baltimore. Now we're having you back under 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 a, a, a little bit uh, a little bit funner times right now in the industry. So uh, again, thank you very much. It was an honor for Cowan to sponsor this event. Um, and you know, I think we're going to be back now um, after a lunch break for the conference. So uh, everyone, thank you very much, Keith. Be well and give my best to the uh, CP family, please. All right, thanks, Jason. And just a quick moment, I wanna thank all of our customers too that are, took the time to listen today. We'll continue to skate hard for you to earn the honor of moving your freight day in and day out. Take care, stay well. Thanks everyone.